Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. The best 60 minutes of your day starts with a Monday night matchup between the NFL's last unbeaten team, Kansas City. Yeah, I called that one. Taking on Washington. How will Washington match up with Kareem Hunt, who hit the ground running in his first primetime game on opening night in the NFL? Kareem Hunt has 538 yards from scrimmage and at least 100 in all three games, including a 50-yard touchdown in each. Only three rookies have had at least 100 scrimmage yards in four straight games out of the gate. Lisa Salters joins me now from Arrowhead. So, Lisa, from spending time with the Chiefs, how would you describe Kareem Hunt's impact on its offense? I mean, remember, Michael, week one when he had his first NFL carry and fumbled on national TV? I think it's safe to say that Kareem Hunt had the best follow-up performance to a fumble ever for a rookie. And certainly no one expected this kid to have the kind of season that he's having so far. He's leading the league in rushing with 401 yards. He's only played three games. Uh, He also has 538 total yards and six trips to the end zone. And Al Smith told us what has impressed him about Hunt so far is that the first tackler he's not going to bring him down he has not been bringing him down and Smith said that's rare for a guy who's small and compact like Hunt to have that power and the speed combo and he's also a game breaker he's got that game breaker ability Uh, and Hunt's got attitude too Michael remember his touchdown celebration in week two when he he kind of laid down in the end zone put his head on the ball as if he was taking a nap I asked him what that was all about and he said the message that he wanted to send to the rest of the league was stop sleeping on Oh, I think to your point, I think nobody slept on him after week one against New England. And to think he wasn't even supposed to start right out of the gate. That was supposed to be Spencer Ware, if not for injury, who knows? Now, as for Washington, Lisa, speaking of injuries, what can you tell us about the injury status of some of the team's key starters? Yeah, well, they definitely opened up a lot of eyes uh, last week, the way they thumped the Raiders. So they're looking to build on that momentum, but they've got a lot of key guys nicked up. Running back Rob Kelly and tight end Jordan Reed were both out last week because of rib injuries. Both will likely still be sore tonight, but they are expected to play. Uh, The same goes for wide receiver Jameson Crowder and safety DJ Swearinger. Uh, who has brought a lot of swagger and confidence, as you know, to Washington's defense this season. Both Swearinger and Crowder tweaked hamstrings at practice on Thursday on the same day, both of those guys. Uh, But uh, though their hammies may probably be tight tonight, they are expected to be active as well. All right. Thank you very much, Lisa Salters. We will see and hear much more from you later on. Tonight, ESPN will broadcast the National Anthem and Arrowhead Stadium will observe a moment of silence. UNLV assistant hockey coach Nick Rabone had surgery to remove a bullet in his chest and is in ICU uh, and is expected to make a full recovery. The number of injured has surpassed 500, the death toll approaching 60. But when will mass shootings take enough of a toll on our collective conscience to take meaningful preventative measures as it relates to policy? Like we've got lots of practice offering condolences, thoughts and prayers. And we certainly do pray for a peace that transcends all understanding. But words feel inadequate and empty because faith without works is dead, people. More than 270 mass shootings in 2017. Our kids drill on what to do in the case of a mass shooting. And you ask if this is our new normal. Clearly, clearly it is because it's obviously 
our choice for it to be. Um, obviously, got a lot of athletes extending their condolences and their thoughts throughout the sports world. Uh, Dana White, the president of the UFC, announced earlier that the organization is donating a million dollars to the families of those affected by the mass shooting. Uh, meanwhile, the Oakland soon-to-be Las Vegas Raiders pledged $50,000 for the Las Vegas Victims Fund. Uh, and the NFL said it would match that contribution. And the NHL's Las Vegas Golden Knights, that's the city's only professional sports franchise, said that we extend our thoughts, prayers, and heartfelt condolences to the victims, their families, and all those affected by the tragic events that took place on the Las Vegas Strip Sunday night. We are grateful for our city's brave first responders, law enforcement, and medical personnel, and the courage they demonstrated under unimaginable circumstances. We join in our city's mourning and offer our full support to the people of Las Vegas to help grieve, heal, and persevere. All right, meanwhile, in the NFL, the Bears have stopped wasting time and started Trubisky time in Chicago. Ready or not, the Bears saw what we all have seen so far, and that's that Mike Glennon is not the answer. That bridge was way too shaky. So, so John Fox turns to Trubisky starting next Monday night at Minnesota. I'm ready for Lewis Riddick. Do you expect this to be one of those Houston Texans situations with Bill O'Brien's like, why didn't he start from jump? Because if, if Mitchell Trubisky was ready a week ago, yeah. he's ready now, he's ready a week ago, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know what? I, I think a lot of – there's some parallels between the two situations. And I think there may be some, some parallels that you can draw between the types of effects that Mitchell Trubisky is going to have on the Chicago Bears, the same way Deshaun Watson had on the Houston Texans. Now, I'm not saying he's going to light the world on fire because he doesn't have the same not supporting cast. Not predicting five touchdowns. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he doesn't have the same supporting cast. But yeah. I think in terms of styles, look, we saw in the preseason – how much Mitchell brings to the table that Mike Lennon doesn't. Mm-hmm. The same thing that Deshaun brought to the table that Tom Savage doesn't. He can move. Means this. That's right, which is, which is huge when you're playing on a team that lacks dynamic playmakers. Look, Jordan Howard is a fine running back. Tariq Cohen is a dynamite change of pace back. Hey, why don't they keep him on the field more, by the yeah. way? And you know Tariq what? Cohen. <laughs> and you know what? I'll tell you what. You may see a little bit more of him if Mitchell plays because of the fact that just think about the possibilities of these two on the field at the same time on third down. When you talk about move-the-pocket type of scenarios, that's what Mitch will be able to do. He'll be able to get outside on the perimeter. You'll be able to run zone read just like they're doing with Deshaun Watson. And it doesn't mean zone read to run it. Zone read because you can pound the ball first and second down, and then on first second down to change it up, you pull the ball, mm-hmm. draw up the linebackers, nice void on the second level. Carson Wentz to Zach Ertz. There you go. Yeah. I mean, you know, Deshaun Watson, how, has, he's been hitting uh, passes like this ever since he got into the starting lineup. Mm-hmm. These are the kind of things that they, they need to inject into this offense in Chicago. The fans don't want to hear it anymore as far as why you're trying to save him. And I get that. Yeah. And I get the team trying to bring, it, bring him along slowly because you don't want to wreck him. You don't want to ruin him. But, look, Mike, I mean, they're in the game of winning. They're in the business of winning games. Well, that's they start what, that's, losing people. That's why I started the way I did. It was saying uh, it, it stands to reason if he's ready now, he was ready a week ago, or maybe he was ready from Jump Street, but they seem to want to redshirt him and protect him. So is this a matter of just being desperate to win to save jobs or actually doing what's best for the kid what's that balance I, I think yeah I mean that's obviously the balance that you're trying to strike but I think at, th- at this point in time it almost has become one of those where you just don't want to lose total hope all hope and not because Mike Glennon is some sorry quarterback that doesn't deserve to be in the NFL but the way that this roster is configured especially on offense he's just not enough mm-hmm. it's just not enough the defense has played some pretty good football they they conceivably have have been in every game that they played now obviously the Green Bay Packer game got away from them but the Atlanta Falcon game they should have won the Tampa Bay game, look, became a turnover fest. Green Bay game became a turnover fest. You can't play that way, and that's sure. another reason why you take Mike out of there. Right. But Mitch is just more exciting. That's why you, that's why you moved up the draft. That's why you drafted him number two. Yeah. And I understand wanting to save him. 
take the time and go ahead and let him develop. That's why you sign bridge quarterbacks. But a lot of times, isn't this how it always happens? Well, usually, you can, and you can't. I mean, it we, usually turns out this. You way. can't look at the players if you're John Fox and say we're doing everything we can to win, and you're right. not playing the best guy, even if the best guy is the less. And if I'm John guy. Fox, I'm going to Ryan Pace, the general manager, and I'm going to ownership and going, "Hey, look, maybe y'all are trying to save him. I'm trying to save me. Yeah, I'm going you to my OC and say, keep, keep Cohen on the field. That's Please. right, and that too. All right, appreciate you, Lewis. Mm-hmm. Now, the team that starts the more experienced starting pitcher by career starts to that point has won eight of ten of the wild card games. Yankees will start the less experienced 23-year-old Luis Severino, the youngest Yankees pitcher to start a playoff game since Andy Pettit in Game 2 of the 1995 ALDS, opposite Irvin Santana, who has a 6-4-3 career ERA at the current Yankee Stadium. But aha, in his last two starts at Yankee Stadium, has allowed three earned runs in 10 and two-thirds. That's what it's all about, postseason baseball. You know, the regular season now, it's, it's kind of like spring training's over. You know, this is the regular season now. This is what it's all about. This is where... You know, a lot of those numbers that are hanging out there in left field, this is, this is where they made a name for themselves in the postseason. So it's, I'm, I'm just excited for this opportunity. All right, Coley Harvey, who's in New York. We just heard from Aaron Judge about how excited he is for this opportunity. So obviously, as if they aren't already, all eyes will be on him. Is he feeling any pressure, though? And if yeah. so, how is he handling it? Yeah, Michael, you know, he was asked that question a lot or or variations of the pressure question a lot during his news conference today. And to his credit, he kind of kept shirking it away. Didn't really go down that rabbit hole, so to speak. He was really focused on saying that he's relaxed, that he wants to make sure that he stays calm and stays in this moment, enjoys it, has fun, and most importantly, just pretends like this is another regular season game. And, of course, that's a message that he doesn't want to just take into tomorrow's game, but he wants to take that for the rest of the postseason. Now, Joe Girardi did mention that stressful moments have kind of defined his team uh, across the last couple of weeks, across uh, the past month or so. This team going 20, uh, 20 and 9 in the past month. And, and to be honest, those wins uh, came again, as Joe Girardi said, with stressful moments. You had the stress of, of September, the stress of the pennant chase, the stress of trying to win the AL East. And even despite all that, Aaron Judge played well. The rest of his team, he felt, played well. And he thinks that's going to carry his team through uh, tomorrow night against the Twins. All right. Now, the Yankees, they swept the Twins just about two weeks ago. Uh, how much are the Twins thinking about yeah. that heading into tomorrow night's wildcard game? Yeah, I actually spoke with Byron Buxton, uh, the Twins outfielder, about that earlier today in the clubhouse. And he said, you know, it's something that they've tried to forget because of how uh, how disappointing it was losing those games. But at the same time, it's still in the back of their minds. And he said it's in the back of their minds because of motivation. Strictly, they want to make sure that they show people that they're a lot better than the three games that they showed the last time they were at Yankee Stadium. They want to prove that they really are a team that's going to thrive here in October. And, you know, while the players are are kind of wishy-washy on whether they want to remember that game or not. The rest of us, we really will remember that series, I should say, because the last game of that series, that was when the little girl, the Yankees fan, was struck by a foul ball just directly behind me over the uh, third base dugout right there. And as we know from what the Yankees said uh, just yesterday in a statement, they will be expanding the netting uh, going across the dugouts uh, here going into next season here and also at Steinbrenner Field, their their, uh, spring training home in Tampa. But of course, that's not happening happening uh, going into the playoffs. That will be next season when that occurs. All right, Coley Harvey live from New York. We appreciate it, man. Enjoy the game tomorrow night. Meanwhile, adding injury to the insult of the Raiders losing to the Broncos, Jack Del Rio said moments ago that Derek Carr has a fracture in his back as a result of that hit, an injury that typically takes two to six weeks to recover. 
up next, home against the Ravens, followed by home against the Chargers. Doesn't matter with Chargers, right, Ryan? Uh, home against the <laughs> Chiefs, at the Bills, at the Dolphins, then a bye, and then the Patriots. The Patriots, a team that many projected that the Raiders, behind a recovered Derek Carr, broke his leg to end last year, would challenge for AFC supremacy. Now, you looking look at being without... Wrong, though. Yeah, right? <laughs> now we're looking at two to six weeks without your quarterback and E.J. Manuel stepping in. How significant right. is this? Well, we saw what this team looked like last year without him. And if you remember, it wasn't just the offense yeah. that suffered. The defense was bad as well. It was like they were deflated. Obviously, you go out and get E.J. Manuel, and you think that's an upgrade to the backup position. But we saw him in Buffalo. He's not a starting quarterback in this league. He's a get-you-through-a-game type quarterback, not necessarily get me to the playoffs. And so if you're the Oakland Raiders, a team that has been struggling offensively the last two games anyway, right? where do you go from here? And you can see, too, after the game, Del Rio was kind of like optimistic when he was talking about it. And you could tell Derek Carr knew, hey, man, it's a little something going on back mm-hmm. there more than, than what they're letting on. Absolutely. And you mentioned he was struggling already against Washington last week. Crabtree out with a chest injury. These are the types of injuries, man, that not only change the course of the Raiders season, but also the teams that they're facing, obviously. Exactly. Baltimore's in the thick of it, despite their offensive struggles. You got the Chiefs, mm-hmm. who look like the class of the league right now. The Bills we'll get to in a second. I mean, just going six weeks, if it's the maximum, you're talking about into the bye, so maybe they, if they can right. afford to hold him out for the bye against the Patriots. But then not just the recovery, but how much practice time is he getting with his team? Right. Well, well, you also, you missed that. But like you said, you mentioned those teams. You're giving those teams a game up on you. Correct. And also a game that maybe they don't win if Derek Carr is playing. So the, the ramifications of this injury stretch far beyond Oakland. And so you rest him and – these are the things, you mentioned the injury to Crabtree, not an injury to Derek Carr, that derail seasons as a whole. Correct. Right? You come in with all these high hopes. You're seeing Marshall the offensive. coming out of retirement. Exactly. Yeah. You, you know Oakland's moving in two years, so they say, to Las Vegas. And now it's like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. This season's a wash. And so EJ May was going to have to find a way to win some of these games somehow, and hopefully you get Derek Carr back on the short end of the spectrum and not the long end. All right. Uh, let's move on to Houston. How crazy does Bill O'Brien look? <laughs> in hindsight, for not starting Deshaun Watson from the jump. And I'm going to answer my own question. Maybe it's one of those things, Ryan, where you get so set with your plan. Like, we want to develop him the old-fashioned way. We right, wanna, right, right. We want right. to let the veteran who knows the system, we want right. to let him come out and, and play well around the quarterback and I'll coach him up. And I'll, That's the voice he said it Yeah, we're going to play well around the quarterback. <laughs> and our defense and our running game and our wide receivers will uplift right. Tom Savage and we'll let – Deshaun Watson developed, and now he comes out and he's doing things not seen since Fran Tarkenton by right. quarterbacks. Like, in that standpoint, Mike, he does look like the guy that was like, you know what, this is the plan I, <laughs> I, I laid out, and you're going to write whatever you want to write, and I'm going to go tell my team, hey, we're going to get ready for the Kansas City Chiefs. Right. right? He looks like that guy. Yeah. But in hindsight, the way I see it is this. You know what? We went with Tom. But now we know we never have to go back to Tom. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Where, I didn't always know that was going to be right, the case right, with, right, with Bill right. O'Brien. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So if you, if you start Deshaun Watson right out of the gate and things aren't going well and the team's not playing well, now you got that, man, what if I would have played Tom Savage? Now we know unequivocally, beyond a shadow of a doubt, yeah. Tom Savage cannot play. Yeah. Right. So if Deshaun Watson has an off week or he has two off weeks, we can't sit here as the media and the pundits and go, well, maybe he should go back to Tom Savage and stick with that plan. Yeah. Nah, we can't do that because we him. saw him. And guy. so now, you know, it's Deshaun Watson here on out, no matter what it looks like. What do you Sunday. love the most from what you're seeing from Deshaun? That obviously Dabo Sweeney used Michael Jordan and, and, and 
And a lot of people and thought you know, he was crazy. You know, we get a little defensive when you mention Mike. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? We get yeah. a little defensive. But all he meant was there was a mistake to pass on. That's what it, and that's all he yeah. meant. He meant Sam Bowie. Yeah. You know, with the third pick, made the earth sick. You know what I'm saying? MJ, MJ, <laughs> fade away perfect. You know what I mean? But, I the, the, but the one thing we have seen, even from just giving the first three checks away to people who, who suffered in the hurricane, he has that type of charisma. He has that type of I want to get behind you and rock with you type personality. And now we're seeing it on the field, too. He's doing some of that Dak stuff that we saw last year, some of that magic that you can't necessarily coach. And we knew Tom Savage sitting back there like a statue wasn't going to be able to do that behind this offensive line. Yeah, it's running for uh, one touchdown, scoring four, got seven passing and two rushing. Nobody's ever had that through four games. 50, like. 57. Yeah, that don't happen. Exactly. It's almost 60. You round up, that's almost 60. <laughs> you know what I mean? On Tennessee. Right. Sound like a Cam Newton, a young Cam Newton, yep. who had his way with the Patriots yesterday. The Patriots, they've allowed 128 points so far this season. This is a Bill Belichick and Matt Patricia defense. Can't figure it out on the back end, leaving people wide open, mm-hmm. getting illegal hands to the face on game winning drives. I mean, this is crazy. Meanwhile, Cam Newton looking like came from a couple of years ago. So how did you see that game as more of a, of a referendum on the Patriots and how long they have to go on defense, mm-hmm. or is Cam and that offense back in Carolina? I think you saw a little bit of both, right? Not, you got to pick one. That's the easy. It's always both. It's always both. I don't have it's to. Always, did such and such win it or did this team lose I don't it's have to pick both. one, Mike. Pick one. No. <laughs> I ain't got to pick one. You know what I mean? You like, nah, so I like educate me. It's that's both. like liking Southern Band and liking St. Aug Band. One's in high school, one's the league. I can like them both. I hear you. Nah, but, so, but not 35s in St. Aug, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> Go ahead. You can't do that. Yeah. So when you look at the game, obviously there were people running wide open. Yeah. Right? Devin Funchin, uh, Kelvin Benjamin. Uh, you got the screen play late in the game. It's wide open. You could drive a truck through the hole. So those plays are on the New England Patriots and not communicating things the way you have to communicate things in passing off routes. Right. But we've also seen in the San Francisco 49er game, the Buffalo Bill game, we've seen Cam Newton miss wide open receivers this year. <laughs> right. Overthrow people, throw the ball in the dirt, not get it out of his hands. And so you saw Cam Newton make the throws he's supposed to make. You saw him be definitive with his decisions and drive the ball and put it where you're supposed to put it. So obviously it's bad Patriots in the sense of, they're not getting beat because guys can't play. You're getting beat because you don't know where you're supposed to be. And isn't that a Which staple is, of Bill Belichick? That's what I'm saying. Matt Patricia? That's, why, that's what's most alarming. I mean, you know? we, we figured Cam would come around. He right. hadn't had a preseason, had that much of an offseason, missing Greg Olson. Right. It's a, it's a lot, of, lot of change when it comes to him. But to go up to New England – and the one thing you can say about the Patriots, you might beat them, but they typically don't beat themselves. Exactly. Exactly. Brady's That's been scary. 13 times. That's scary. They can't right. protect Brady. And when you got guys getting penalties, extending drives, and guys not communicating on the back end, right. which is one thing Belichick's going to take care of is the back end. Right. That's, that seems to be a little more alarming. Not taking anything away from Cam because right. he's back to running, right. back to being confident. Third Cam. downs, touchdowns. Yeah, but right. the Patriots' defense is alarming. For well, a you team know, that we thought about being wrong, being oh, under, we, about dead wrong. We, we had that talk on this show, and I was dead yeah. serious. I was like, they should be favored in that every was, game. That made two of us. But anytime you have a dude and the, the ball snap, and he looking at his homeboy like this, yeah. they in trouble. <laughs> you, you know been what I mean? Before? This right here? You been there in the yeah. back this, before? <laughs> this mean, y'all, if y'all don't know, this mean when I'm covering, I'm going to put my chin, you got to put your chin down. What that mean, I don't know who I'm covering. Okay. And I thought they meant sexual chocolate. No. I dropped the mic. That's what I, mean. <laughs> I ain't dropping it yet. I don't know how many more questions we got. We, get, yeah, we got one more. We got one more. We can't let it go too far off the rails. All right. Both the Rams and the Bills. Say it with me now. Leading their division at 3-1. and one. Hey, all trio. The, Bill, <laughs> the Bills, fourth time in team history uh, that they won a game against a team 3-0 and or better. All right. On the road. That's what we're talking about there. And it's the first time they've been in first place this late 
alone since 2008. Meanwhile, let, look at that. They had to let us know about it. That's the best part. It's not getting old. Keep underestimating them, Bill's Twitter says. Thankfully, I'm not on that list. But I would have been because I would have picked the Falcons too. And then you got the Rams uh, who are in sole possession of first this late since 2010, having scored 142 points. So who's for real? Neither, both, or one of them? Do I get to feel like shady, though? How, why come I don't get to be an expert and make picks? It makes two of us again. Okay, back to the, the <laughs> back to. What Would we you have picked about. the Falcons or the Bills? You're You'd have picked the Falcons. Darn right, I'd have picked the Falcons. Exactly. And I'd still pick them next week. Exactly. Oh, uh, you know when you look at the Buffalo Bills, this is a team that's playing excellent defense. Yep. A team that they're rushing the passer uh, in the back end. They're a lot better than I thought they would be with a lot of new pieces. You bring in Michael Hyde. You, you draft your Davis White. All of these guys have been implemented very well and played high level football. But for me, it's Tyrod Taylor, right? We basically felt like you're getting rid of all the good wide receivers. You're letting them all go. Now they're balling at the Rams. They're doing all these things. And Tyrod. I forgot about that. Yeah. That was a story. After yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and Tyrod's making huge throws. He's extending plays. You can't get him down in the pocket. We've seen Shady McCoy, who actually up until this week hadn't been playing very well, hadn't been, hadn't been producing. And so what this team was able to do, go down to Atlanta and win. I know Muhammad Sanu wasn't playing. I know Julio Jones got hurt, but it was still and it was still a huge yeah, win, and you still made you still turned the ball over. You had Matt Ryan looking like Maddie Warm Water or Maddie Lukewarm, <laughs> and I thought I thought I just think it was a big win. And for the Rams, it's just, ain't it just fun? Yeah, you know, like I like watching Sean McVay go sit on the cooler while the defense out there. Dude on the cooler playing on his whatever his little his little pad, making sure he Throwing got the right plays. Right, and then he go walk out. Jared Goff, we thought he wasn't gonna never be able to play. Yeah, I, I thought at the hard knocks, he's the dumbest quarterback to ever live. <laughs> well, right? we didn't know which yeah, way the sun rose. Yeah, boy ain't know nothing. Yeah. And then <laughs> then you got Ty Gurley. You know what I'm saying? Now we gotta start calling him Todd Manley again because he balling. And so to watch this team have the fun that they're having, be in the games, finish the way they're supposed to finish. I mean, it's this. We had two weeks, so we was like, man, football stinks. You know, and it's starting to pick up, and yeah. these are two teams that are part of the reason. You got a Tyrod Taylor who, by the way, he's ninth in total QBR. I didn't realize he was in the top ten all three years he's been a starter, taking you farther back when it was like, oh, should we get rid of him right. coming off the injury, and you're right about the receiver. So to recap, the Texans, they got a savage at quarterback, just not Tom. <laughs> New England is sexual chocolate. Yep. And as far as the Rams, it's Todd Manley. Todd Manley. <laughs> and make sure you address my right, point right away. <laughs> You know who could use some help? I, 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 you know I couldn't let you go without, you know, home cut. No, wait, wait. Ryan, I need more analysis. I need oh, more, analysis more analysis from the, the men of Troy. Bring better. Bring home. You know what? You look like the dude that, that Achilles the other men in the of beginning. Troy. Yeah, exactly. The other men of Troy. That's why I know I will remember your name. Did you see your boy, your boy Beckham? Look at his finger. He let us all know that he was playing through some serious pain. That's broke it. I'm sorry, boss. <laughs> Booker, I'm sorry, man. I, I I didn't put this I didn't put this segment together. David. Somebody did. So according to the advocate, you may notice Ed Orgeron has a twelve million dollar buyout on his five year contract. Take it or leave it. LSU stuck like Chuck with Coach O in his contract. Uh, I'm gonna take that. And I think when you owe him that much money, plus the money that they owe Les Miles, I don't think they can afford to pay that money. Number one, number they already two. Already got budget issues in the well, state, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, Louisiana in trouble. Yeah. But on top of that, I think Ed Ogeron is a good football coach. Yes, he's in he's in a little bit of a struggle right now, but it's kind of like that relationship, you know. You are married, you get divorced, you move on, you find yourself a new wife. First month, kind of rocky. Toilet seat been left up. Food by the, wait, by the wife? It, I mean, the, wife don't need the toilet seat up. Husband. Oh, okay. Oh, I got you. I got yeah, you. I got you. From the wife's standpoint, okay. Maybe the food ain't done on time. Y'all, y'all rocky. 
you don't get another quick divorce. You figure it out, you work it out, and you move forward. It depends on the prenup. <laughs> so all I'm saying, not that I wouldn't know anything about that. Exactly. I don't know anything about that, but I, I'm, I'm here for that do we part. Exactly. What I'm saying is, I know times are tough, Yes. but you stand to make more money if you win it. Like, I've seen Absolutely. you. You, you look like you're about to lose it over the weekend when you oh. watch LSU perform this way. So maybe you just bite the bullet, keep paying a lot of ex-coaches, but find the right one. Maybe they were just too sentimentally attached to him to begin with. I think he's the right one. Okay. He's struggling right now. I think he has to work out the offensive coordinator situation. Okay. LSU has become a physically soft team. That is They're not, not tough. You might have said they don't have a quarterback, but you never said they were physical. Exactly. Soft. LSU's always been physical. They've always been able to run the football north and south, and they can't do that right now. So he has to solve that between the new offensive coordinator, Matt Canada, and the identity and the philosophy that LSU wants to play with. All right. They're not the only school with problems in the SEC. Take it or leave it. Butch Jones, he can turn Tennessee's season around after Georgia turned up in Knoxville to the tune of 41 to nothing. I'm going to leave that. And, and Butch okay. has been promising. <laughs> listen, Butch has been promising a lot of things there. He said, brick by brick, we're going to build this house. Well, guess what? They've been building this house for a long time. It's Shaq. year five. The house has no roof on it whatsoever. Okay? And the natives are tired of being restless. They're ready for them to go. So before the season, I was if. Now it's when they're going to fire Butch Jones. Come November 18th when it's uh, LSU at Tennessee, I wonder which one of these guys will still be with the team. Because Tennessee's schedule, so they got the bye before they face South Carolina, then they're at Alabama. Yeah. So it doesn't get much easier That's an L. the rest of the way. Uh, you know, I'm going to go ahead and, and leave this as well. They already got odds online. I think it's called betting online or something. Right. They got Chip Kelly as the favorite. Like I, Chip Kelly as a fit in Tennessee? I like Chip Kelly, but out west. I think Chip Kelly is a Pac-12 guy. Speaking of out west, you know what you want to take from the Pac-12? T. Martin. Bring T. Martin home. T. Martin can come home, absolutely. And that would be a perfect fit. A guy that's led him to the national championship. From Chip Kelly's standpoint, I think Chip can maybe wind up Arizona State, somewhere out west. That fits him better. I don't know if Chip's an SEC guy. T. Martin's already got his own issues, namely Sam Darnold, <laughs> who, going back to Friday night, struggled against Mike Leach's defense through yet another pick. He's got eight after having nine all of last season, this was the second coming. This was, you know, yeah, suck get, for Sam. Teams are going to tank for him yeah. after last year. Take it or leave it. Sam, the man, needs to stay in school. I'm going to leave that. And okay. I don't care if he's not written. Go if get they, that money. If they tell you that you could be first or second overall, that's 25 so or 30 million dollars. tell some young man to go play for free me? again for no. another season. You go get that money if they're going to offer it to you. Let somebody else coach you up. Exactly. <laughs> somebody in the NFL will coach you up and pay you at the same time. Sam Donald's not playing well. There's no doubt about that. I think he's trying to make the Heisman throw with every throw. He needs to go back to the fundamentals, man. Stop trying to win the Heisman with every throw. He's got all the physical tools you can want, but he's got to start to make better decisions. Decision-making, not physical attributes, or will make a quarterback in my mind. And look, no excuses, but there are reasons when you talk about his, his receiver core or even his offensive line, which is an experience coming into the season, if I'm not mistaken, right? No doubt. And he's got some offensive linemen hurt, but you just made an excuse. So don't make it. I'm saying reasons. Reasons. Saying reasons. Excuses. Yeah, I'm leaving it too because, you know, <laughs> if they're telling you you're going to get drafted in the first right. round, you go ahead and leave. Absolutely. I remember one guy threw 19 picks. His name escapes me his senior uh, year. Uh, Matt Ryan. Exactly. Went third overall. They weren't yeah. about his decision. Jameis Winston threw a lot. He went first overall. Exactly. Look how he's doing. Yeah. All right. Staying in college, Bryce Love is giving Saquon Barkley a run for title of best running back in college football. He's up over 1,000 yards at 11 yards a carry. You knew this already. Saquon didn't do a, do a great job on the ground this weekend, but returned a kick for a touchdown and threw a touchdown pass. So who's the best running back in college football right now? Say what? I say Quan. It's okay. really that, is that really not a question? It's not a question. Saying? Okay. Saquon. 1,000 yards already with 11 yards of carry. I don't look at statistics. Okay. I look at what you do on the football field. Okay. And to me, Saquon Barkley is the best running back since 
Barry Sanders. When you look at the total package, what he can do, catching the football, running the football, returning kicks, the acceleration, his size, he's 230 pounds. When you put the total package together, he's better than Reggie Bush, Marshall Falk, Adrian. Like He's better than everybody when you put the total package together. So I'm going to leave that, man. Since I asked the questions, I could answer this on a technicality. Yes. It says that Bryce Love has given Saquon Barkley a run. It didn't say he was past him. It said a run. So you've got to take this. You mentioned Barry Sanders. If I'm not mistaken, he on pace to break Barry Sanders' single-season record. A thousand yards, though. It just is. What's today's day? October 2nd? A thousand. When the last time you heard a dude have a thousand yards by October 2nd? I haven't heard that, but Mike, I can't be a numbers guy. I can't be a stats guy. I watch the tape just like you. Is the object of the game not to advance the football? It is. So he's advanced <laughs> at a rate. He is. Really, I'm with you. I'm taking Saquon Barkley. Okay. I'm taking him. And right. I think being on a better team yeah. in contention will help him yeah. for the Heisman. Yeah. But you got to give love to Bryce. I'll give Bryce some love, but he's not in Saquon's category. Ooh, man, that's two high takes. All right. Not too many people in the category of Clemson. Talking about 1,000 yards before October. How about beating three top 15 teams in September? Mm-hmm. How about that? And then you got Alabama who's beating the brakes off of everybody. Mm-hmm. Latest being Ole Miss. Take it or leave it. Clemson, Alabama, round three is the best thing for college football. I'm going to take that. National championship game. I'm going to take that. Fast forward. Right, no doubt. And I'm going to use the NBA analogy. How Warriors good was, how good, how good was Warriors Cavs? To me, it was great. The ratings were phenomenal. People tuned in. And as much as everybody said, we don't want to see that, everybody tuned in to watch. And these are the two best football teams. Don't talk, and I understand. Penn State is good. Oklahoma's a nice little story with Baker Mayfield. Some of these other programs, Georgia, they, Kirby Smart's got it right. They just They just all right. <laughs> Clemson, Alabama are cut above. They are. They're the two best teams in the country right now. And I put them one, Clemson, two, Alabama. Yeah. I'd like them in that order. So, yeah, this is this is the best thing for college football. If you want interest on national championship night, on, on the night that college football hands out their rings, in you Atlanta. want the two best teams. In, in, in the new Mercedes-Benz Dome yeah. with all that technology in there, you want the two best teams. All right. I'm going to leave this only because I think it's a little bit different than – you know, other trilogies that we've seen because of the turnover. They got a lot of the same cats, and the coaches are the stars in this Correct. case. And, you know, and I, I love both those teams. I love Jalen Hurts, obviously. You know, I, I love what, what Clemson has done replacing Deshaun Watson, but I kind of like to see a, a, a little, little different flavor this time around. So you want variety? Just this time. Just this time. I mean, we've seen – because it was about, hey, Deshaun coming close and right. then Deshaun finishing the job. Again, I like the programs. I love what they're both doing, but I don't want it to be about the coaches. I want it to be about the players. That's why I think it's different when right. it comes to the professional analogy you just made. So I'm going to go ahead and leave that and want an Oklahoma and a Baker Mayfield to get over the hump. I'm going to tell you the same like thing that. I tell my wife. My wife always gets me to try new meals at different restaurants. <laughs> you know what I tell her? I say, baby, I like what I like. Yeah. I, I want the same thing. Yeah. I want you. I don't need nobody else. So, Mike, you don't need variety. You've been married a long time. <laughs> Two-time World Series champion, MLB analyst for ESPN, David Ross is here now. Let's preview that AL wildcard game less than 24 hours, uh, a little over 24 hours, excuse me, from now on ESPN. So Irvin Santana getting the ball for the Twins. Doesn't have the best career record at this Yankee Stadium, although he has been better in his last couple of starts. You're Paul Molitor. What kind of leash you got with Santana? Well, you know, uh, Twins bullpen isn't really that deep, and, and they've got some arms down there. They've got some veteran guys that know how to pitch, but for me, Santana's the guy. I'm, I'm, I'm trusting in him. I don't pick Burrios, the young kid, to start. I'm going to go with Santana. The, the track record for these playoff games, for these wild card games, experience, 8 out of 10, 
guys with the experience have yep. won. So uh, I think you give him a little bit of leash, but it is that game seven feel. Anything could happen. He could he could give up one, and they go to they start going to that bullpen and matchup. That's the numbers game here lately. Absolutely, go, go, going with those extra extra right. arms. So we know about the numbers that Aaron Judge put up during the regular season. First taste of the postseason. What are you looking for from him on this big stage? I'm looking for a poise, a calmness. He's already been on the big stage in New York, and and me myself playing in Boston, being in the big market. You, every game is crucial, and every game's under under the microscope. So. Having a poise, having his at-bats, not getting over-anxious in those 3-2 counts. I think when he was struggling a little bit, he was trying to make things happen. When he's calm and lets the game come to him, he's at his best, and I think he's one of the best players in the game. Obviously. One of the faces of baseball right now, and obviously playing in the Bronx, he's, he's used to the spotlight, but having been in Boston and Chicago, these different rabid markets, when it, does he have any idea what he's actually in store for <laughs> when it comes to that postseason scrutiny in New York? Even with a young team that this maybe wasn't expected of and has got a bright future ahead, you give the Yankees fans a taste of the postseason. They don't want just, they don't want just a slice. They want the whole thing. You're spot on. But you know what I like about young guys these days? They don't care about history. They don't care about the outside noise. They're so focused on doing their craft. They're focused on the game, which they've been taught. Hey, don't worry about don't worry about everything else. Let's focus on what you got to do. He's already went through an MVP caliber season with ups and downs. The home run derby champ, then struggling, and everybody's saying, "Oh, it was a big fluke." And then he comes back, hits 13 home runs last yeah, month, okay. setting the record. Yeah, MVP because. Yeah. So he's been through the trials of a season, and some of that New York media has already been crushing him a little bit. So yeah. it's, uh, I like, he's got such a, a calm demeanor about him. I think he's going to do great. You got a great demeanor about you. Come tomorrow, and let's preview the NL wildcard. Oh, okay? love it. We'll see you tomorrow. Doing too much is next. But first, here's a look back at the last month. If you're coming off the ball like a sprinter, it's more about the hips. I understand there's a game going on, but get out of my shot. Which tailgate's more your speed, Stanford or San Diego State? I think you know the answer to that. CJ McCollum tweeted, we need to start ranking these journalists. Me, me, this is a hard one, me. That's like the difference between a barbecue and a I cookout. I think that's what he wanted. He says he has slept with roughly 10,000 women over the course Ooh. of his career. Oh, that was, did you do that on purpose? Of course I did. Woo! Will Chamberlain is somewhere in heaven, like, all right, dog. Halfway there. <laughs> Take that! Your Pythagorean theorem. Beer game is impeccable. No. Caroline. No, no. Diction. Did you even move from this spot? No. Y'all don't understand the commitment that it takes. My taste may stink, but not my breath. I was not talking about him. You gotta size that up before you do it. Knowledge. Nah. Connection. That's not charisma, Mike. Did I mention looks? That's the most Miami thing Rick I've ever James, seen. 33 <laughs> chains. Oh, come on, man. I love you. I make you a better. Okay. Damn shame what this sport is doing to that, man. Are you serious? No, break, guys, break. It's going to be tough. You know, I think I'll probably be nervous my, for the first inning out on defense. But I think once, you know, that first pitch is thrown by Severino, I think it's, it's game on. It's time to go out there, compete, and go out and have some fun and win a ball game, you know. So I think just once the game gets started, we'll all kind of relax and just kind of settle in, and it'll be a good ball game. All right. So the NBA, Lonzo Ball's stat line was so-so, two for nine, five points, eight assists, three turnovers. But, hey, at least there was a huge turnout at the Honda Center and a lot of people waiting to see LeVar. Lonzo and the Lakers look to bounce back tonight against the Nuggets, and in terms of buzz, Magic's Lakers are definitely back. When it comes to the actual ball, still a work in progress. They don't want Lonzo overpassing and pushing it when he needs to be running the offense. So we had every intention of talking to Ramona Shelburne about what to expect from Lonzo Ball against the Nuggets tonight, but then the aforementioned LeVar Ball, according to the <laughs> LA Times and Ramona Shelburne, is pulling LaMelo Ball from Chino Hills High School and will homeschool him for the next two years, as well as, of course, train him. What more can you add, Ramona? Well, look, I just got off the phone with LeVar, and he's, uh, he's not happy with the coach there at Chino Hills, and this is, I guess this is the second coach he's not happy with, right? 
because uh, there was a coach there before. Um, but essentially, you know, Lavar said, um, like it's 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 kind of too crazy for him there right now. It, it, their life has sort of become very public and very famous, and he's not happy with the coach, not happy with the school, not happy. You know, he think he's sort of worried about um, just the, uh, the all the attention that's on Lamelo every single day, and he feels like the best thing for him would be to just train him at home for the next two years. So I flat out asked him, "Are you going to take him to another high school?" He says, "No, I think I think he'll just stay. We'll just homeschool him because that's I know how to train him the right way." <laughs> so. So we, we I've covered high schools in a while, Mike, but you know, I guess it's different with the with the ball family. Exactly. We know Lavar is going to do what he sees best uh, for his sons. So just since this story is broken, have you gotten any reaction around the league? Because hey, what, what's what's Lamelo's prospects in terms of both the college and, and perhaps an NBA prospects, if, if if at all? And what are people saying about this decision by Lavar to homeschool him and train him for the next two years, and how that could positively or negatively? impact LaMelo's future? Well, that, that is the absolute right question because, you know, you know he has a ton of talent, right? I mean, obviously he, he can score 90 points in a game and uh, he's looked at as a, as, a, as a great prospect in a couple of years. He's already committed to UCLA. There's, there's some questions about his amateur status because of the big baller brand. He's already got a signature shoe. How is that going to affect his amateur status at UCLA in a couple of years? And um, look, I've, I've covered them for the last year or so and, and LaVar says he can speak it into existence. So he's, he, he did that with Lonzo, uh, and he's a Laker. He's convinced the other two kids will be a Laker as well. Um, and, you know, I guess he was right the first time, so we'll <laughs> see. That is the right question, right? I mean, is at what point, you know, Lonzo, Lonzo was famous, but not as famous as the other two sons now, right? Because all of the attention really ramped up on this family when Lonzo got to UCLA, and he became a top draft prospect. I think LaMelo is seen as, is seen as a different kind of prospect, but he certainly has the potential if he develops right all right, LeVar homeschooling, homeschooling LaMelo. RC, why did A.B. trip out when Ben Roethlisberger, God forbid, threw it to Le'Veon Bell? Because <laughs> nine targets. Hey, because he just couldn't believe they threw it to somebody else after he was a kid on Christmas waiting for that ball. Hey, man, you know how wide receivers are, though, man. They divas. I thought you were going to say dudes are Mohawks. That's not a mohawk, though. Like, it's like a flappy thing in the front. It's a Fonzarelli. More important, forget that. How about Juju Smith-Schuster's end zone celebration? Oh, you kidding? How about that? Wait, because he said it was Dragon Ball Z. Maybe I'm just too young or too old. Too old. Me. That street fight at us. More sports centers next. They stole it. They stole, about it. That. They stole it. They stole it.